building. It's filled with the heritage of uh, our state. And it's, uh, if you've never been there, you ought to go sometime. And if you ever go, <clears throat> there is one memorial that stands out in my mind uh, among the 40-some pieces, both outside and inside of public art, that, that just says something special to me. You, you might easily overlook it, but it is a bust of Colonel Richard Owen, commandant of the Indianapolis Camp Morton, which became a prisoner of war facility during the Civil War. By the way, there is a duplicate bust in Owen Hall here uh, at IU. Now, what makes this tribute so uniquely special is where and how it originated. Prisoner of war camps during the Civil War were notorious, horrendous places, both in the north and in the south, Andersonville in the south being the worst. Thousands died from malnutrition, disease, and neglect. Some of the pictures that come from those places during the Civil War would remind you of what we saw after World War II coming out of Dachau and Auschwitz. You, you can't believe sometimes how Americans treated other Americans during the Civil War. Long before any federal regulations, however, existed for the treatment of POWs, Colonel Owen established 11 rules for humane and sensible treatment of prisoners. Now, now here's what makes that bust of Colonel Owen so special. It was commissioned and paid for with gifts from former Confederate prisoners of war who spent time at Camp Morton during Owen's charge. I want you to take note of the words that are carved underneath the bronze statue. Colonel Richard Owen, Commandant Camp Morton Prison, 1862. Tribute by Confederate prisoners of war and their friends for his courtesy and kindness. In the midst of such tragedies as were experienced during this war between the states, the kindness of one man was still being celebrated 48 years after the war ended when this statue was dedicated at the State House. Don't pretend that kindness doesn't make an impact. There is a grand reason why this very word appears as a description of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I know we've done this every week, but I figure it's one way that you're going to learn and memorize this text, so I want you to read it out loud with me again this morning. Will you do that, please? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The word in this text translated kindness, with a couple exceptions, appears exclusively used by the Apostle Paul in his letters to the New Testament churches. Now, the original concept of this word carried the idea of moral excellence, almost to the point of perfection. And the thought progressed in this manner. Moral excellence leads or results in the capacity to show kindness to everyone. The word can even be translated at times friendly. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, we learn that we are like God when we treat our enemies kindly because, as Jesus said, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. 
In other words, once you've experienced the kindness of God yourself, you are to be like him in expressing this same kindness to others. Perhaps the most interesting use of this word is found in a familiar text in Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we read this. You you know this one. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you say, I didn't read the word kind there. (laughs) Yeah, you did. It just doesn't appear that way in the English. It's the word easy. My yoke is kind to wear is actually what the original text here says. We translate it easy, but, but it carries this thought that there's a, it feels good, this yoke around our necks. Now, in that day and time, an ox yoke <clears throat> was tailored to the very team of oxen. In other words, a farmer would take his team of oxen to the carpenter at least two or three times, and the carpenter would actually carve and shape the oak, a yoke to fit the shoulders of this very team of oxen so that it fit well, so that it was comfortable, so that it was kind to wear. There is a legend that comes out of that day and time that Jesus was known all over Galilee for making the best yokes and that farmers everywhere would bring to this carpenter's son their oxen because nobody could build and shape a yoke like Jesus. Now, I don't know if the legend is true or not, but this I do know is true, that life which Jesus offers fits well. It is kind. It is not a burden to live. And the whole idea of a yoke is that you're not alone, that you are connected or you're yoked together with him. So because of his kindness toward us, we ought to be reflective of that same kindness to others. As you're yoked to the Savior, let his kindness flow through you. As Paul uses the word in his letters, it's always a winsome virtue of the Christian life. Now, love may be the primary characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, but kindness is love in action. So let me ask you again this week, how does your garden grow when it comes to this area of kindness? I don't know who it was that first posed the question, but it's one that you and I have to answer in our lives. If you were arrested for being kind, would enough evidence be found to convict you? Is the word kind a term that your family will put in your obituary? Is the word kind one that everybody would think should be carved on your tombstone? Love, joy, and peace tend to be inner qualities that manifest themselves in outward expressions. And the finest outward expression, the most powerful outward expression of that love, joy, and peace is kindness. If we are not known for being kind, what does that say about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, let me take just a few minutes and let's do some digging this morning uh, in God's Word uh, with regard to this matter of kindness. Because there's some things we need to take out of this place and not just remember, but put into practice. Okay? Here we go. Study the best when learning to be kind. 
All right, that's the first thing I want you to remember. Study the best when you're learning to be kind. French alpine skier Jean-Claude Killy said, the best and fastest way to learn a sport is to watch and imitate a champion. That's not limited to sports. That's true in every arena of life. If you want to learn how to do it best, then find a champion, study that champion, and then imitate his or her example. And you'll find when it comes to spiritual matters and when it comes to this issue of kindness, you'll find no champion better than the Lord himself. Now, we oftentimes think of the Old Testament as being a... um, a book that's filled with bloodshed and battles and strife. And people oftentimes will remark, well, the God of the Old Testament is an angry kind of God. It's because they don't see the whole picture. They don't have the whole concept. I just want you to know that the kindness of God is woven all through the Old Testament. For instance, in the law, you can read about it in Exodus. You can read about it in Leviticus. You can read about it in Deuteronomy. We find over and over again God reminding his people to be kind and gracious, especially to those who were foreigners in their midst because he says, remember, at one time, you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. They were to be kind to widows and orphans, those who were fatherless and those who were without husbands because nobody else could take care of them, so you make sure you take care of them. Provide for them. God says when you're harvesting your field, if you leave a sheaf behind, don't go back and get it. If you drop grapes to the ground, don't go back and get them out of your vineyard. Leave the corners of your fields unharvested. Why? So that the poor among you will have food to supply for them. The law even says, if you, if you come across a donkey that's down, even if it's not your own donkey, help the animal, take care of the animal. And God even said, be kind to the ground. Every seven years, let the ground have a rest. Don't plant any crops. That was the law. God built into that this cord of kindness that is woven all the way through it. And if we would practice that same kind of kindness today, it would be visible to everyone. In 2 Chronicles, we read of King Manasseh. When you're studying the the, uh, southern kingdom, uh, the country of Judah, the northern kingdom is is, uh, gone by this time as far as their spirituality and stuff. But Manasseh, comes along, son of one of the best kings, Josiah. Manasseh was one of the wickedest kings that, that Judah ever had. Comes at the top of the list, and, and he brought in all kinds of idolatry. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the, that the Israelites at that point in time, the Judeans were more wicked than their pagan neighbors. This gives you an idea. And, and, and God is so frustrated with the, with the Judeans and with the leadership of King Manasseh that the Assyrians come in and attack, and the Bible says that they haul him off to Assyria with a hook in his nose. Now, a lot of people have pierced noses today, but this one was not on purpose by the king. They hauled him away, pulling him by this. He gets to Assyria and realizes how bad things have been, and he repents of his sin. And then, then we read this in Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 13. It says, Then he, being Manasseh king, prayed to God, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now, would you do that? 
I mean, if you had been in God's place, and here's a guy that served for about 50 years of pure wickedness in the kingdom, and finally gets hauled off, and, and, he's, and he's in subjection to the Assyrians, and he says, man, I have made a mess of things. God, I am really sorry. If I had been God, I would have said, too little, too late, Manasseh. But not God. There is this incredible kindness in God that says, I almost see God calling the angels to the, to the edge of eternity and saying, you guys see this? Look at this king. He's repented. I love this guy. I'm going to send him back. Don't tell me that the Old Testament is filled with an angry God. His kindness is woven over and over through every chapter and every page, and it is to be a picture to us in our kindness. And if you can't get that picture of God, God did it best when he sent his son. Who could have been more kind than Jesus? How kind is he? <laughs> kind enough to be bothered by a problem of no wine at a wedding feast. Kind enough to give the colors of the world to blind eyes. Kind enough to touch a leper's diseased skin and make him huggable again. Kind enough to stop a funeral procession and give a widow the best gift she ever received, her son alive again. Kind enough to hug and laugh with children. Kind enough to provide dinner for a multitude of 5,000. Kind enough to make a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus feel like a special friend. Kind enough to restore the ear of the high priest's servant who fell victim to Peter's sword. Kind enough not to spit back when soldiers were spitting on him. Kind enough to promise heaven to an old thief hanging on a cross next to him. Everything Jesus do, did and continues to do comes from this wonderful kindness of God. Love was his decision, but it came clothed in kindness. You and I need to imitate that example. But you and I are going to deal with some obstacles to kindness too, and so we need to overcome these obstacles to kindness. Now, I got, I got to tell you, I've been struggling with, uh, with my yard uh, this summer. Last year's drought left lots of uh, patches uh, of, of dead grass or patches where grass was supposed to have been, and uh, so we've receded this year. Now, the problem is that the weeds have become now uh, a major issue because when you when you go through a reseeding process in these patches now you can't use herbicide you can't use weed killer on it because the grass is too too tender and young and it'll die so now I'm having to live with all these weeds I'm stuck with them until sometime this fall when when we can begin to put some uh, weed killer on it and get it ready for next year and I, I was whining about all the weeds to a friend who told me that Purdue University did a study a few years ago where they took several random cubic yards of soil to analyze how many just random weed seeds are in a cubic yard of soil? Do you, do you know what they found out? Purdue University found out that the least amount of seeds they found in, in random cubic yards of soil, the least was 10,000. 10,000 weed seeds in a cubic yard of soil. He went on to tell me that soil that is under a house for 100 years... You can take it out, put it out in the sun, water it, and weeds will grow. Did you know that? 
Weed seeds don't rot. They are there forever. It's disgusting. So are the weeds that give us fits when it comes to being kind. Let me give you just a couple weeds you'll recognize. Here's the first one, me first weed, the me first weed. The ancient Hebrew word for kindness literally means to bow the head, treat courteously, and appropriately. Now, the antithesis of that would be a haughty self-centeredness. In John's third letter, he identifies this very kind of person. Uh, third John, we, you know, the one that oftentimes gets overlooked, we find this in verse 9. It says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. How many Diotrephes do you know in your life? People who love to be first, the me first kind of weed. How often times do you act like Diotrephes? How often do I act like Diotrephes? Always wanting to be first. Such an attitude will choke out any kindness in you. And then there's my way is best weed. You know, when you look at the Old Testament prophet Jonah, he was a sulker. He didn't like God's plan, so he ran away, tried to get as far away from God as he possibly could. And when God gave him that special ride home via the fish and, and got thrown up onto the shore, and he finally goes to Nineveh, and the Ninevites respond to his preaching. Now, now folks, I've been preaching for a long time. And, and, and to think about preaching to a whole city of thousands upon thousands of people, and from the king on down, they listen and repent. You'd think Jonah would have thought, this is good stuff. But Jonah was so frustrated. He didn't want the Ninevites to repent. He wanted God to wipe them off the face of the earth. And here again, we have a picture of God's kindness. When the Ninevites repented from the king on down, God says, look at this. I'm not going to punish them. And Jonah says, I knew it. I knew it. That's why I didn't want to come preach, because I knew you were a kind and gracious God. The whole story is about God's kindness. And Jonah's, I wanted it my way, approach to ministry. Sulking will always choke the kindness right out of you. Both of these weeds find their root in selfishness, and selfishness and kindness are like oil and water. They don't mix. Kindness, you see, is a mirror that reflects the Spirit, but selfishness fogs the mirror. So here's the last thing I want you to take home with you today, and that is be intentional in your kindness. Several years ago, there used to be a lot of billboards around town, and you'd see them a lot of different places. And it said something about doing random acts of kindness. I even had a little book at one time in my study that was simply called Random Acts of Kindness. And I've got to tell you, I understood what the billboards were about and what the book was about, but that always bothered me. It sounded to me like accidental kindness. And there's nothing accidental about kindness. God never calls us to be accidental in our kindness. He calls us to be intentional in our kindness. He, he wants us to do things on purpose, planned kindness, practiced kindness. You say, practice kindness? Yeah, practice. Do you think you're naturally kind? I've got news for you. You're not naturally kind. I'm not naturally kind. Like anything else, it takes practice. This week, Atlantis will return to Earth and complete NASA's space shuttle program that began about three decades ago. 
But what you may not know is that 35 years ago, our first space shuttle, Enterprise, never made it into space. It was merely a practice shuttle. Enterprise endured vibration experiments and pre-launch tests attached to solid rocket boosters. It was strapped to its 747 uh, carrier and went through several kinds of tests. Even it made five successful landings on its own. And yet Enterprise and her crew never broke through the atmosphere to share in the spectacular moments experienced by subsequent shuttle uh, orbiters and by their crews. However, the success of this program over the last three decades owes itself to the work that was done by Enterprise and her crew. You see, practice, practice builds success. And what we understand out of NASA's space program ought to be applied to spiritual matters. Practice brings success. It's especially true of kindness Spiritual disciplines like kindness need our practice. Now today, Enterprise uh, is displayed at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. as a reminder that practice does make the difference between success and failure. So if I were to ask you this morning, what is displayed in the museum of your mind and heart that represents your practice of kindness, what could you show me? Let me give you three real simple guidelines for being kind this morning. Nothing earth-shattering, just need to be reminded of them. Here's the first one. Be genuine and sincere in your kindness. Kind deeds done for the sake of being noticed by someone else aren't really kind. That's merely showing off, and Jesus had something to say about such hypocrisy. Be genuinely kind, and, it, you, and, and you'll be irresistible. Be a good at two-shoes, and you'll be irreligious. So make sure you're genuine and sincere in your kindness. Number two, give no thought to being repaid for your kindness. If you do a kind deed with the hope that the favor will be returned, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. And here's what I mean. If you do this and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to do something nice for this person, and then they're going to turn around and do something nice for me, and then they don't turn around and do something nice for you, how do you feel? Well, I can't believe they didn't do anything for me. I am really disappointed. Suddenly, it's no longer kindness that's at work. You're frustrated, you're discouraged because you were expecting something in return which destroys the kindness to begin with. So when you do something kind, make it a gift with no expectation that they're going to do anything about it because if you don't expect anything in return, you'll be able to celebrate the kindness and enjoy the reward that comes from imitating the Spirit of God in your life. And third thing is resist the urge to brag about your kindness. This one's tough. I'll be honest with you. I kind of like people to know when I've done something nice. How about you? You know, you, you kind of try and slip it into a conversation, you know. Went downtown when I was doing something nice for somebody, and you go on with the story. You know, the whole point of it, you're trying to get people to know you were doing something nice. Resist the urge to brag about your kindness. Jesus had this to say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret then. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You let God brag about you. Just do your deeds of kindness and let God knows, and he's the only one that, he, that really needs to know. 
Now, you're going to be leaving in a few minutes. <laughs> I was just waiting for the amen on that one. I didn't hear any. I d- yeah, I'm just sure, to, you know, <clears throat> you're going to be leaving in a few minutes, and it's, it'll be so easy to walk out of this building, and, uh, and you'll think, well, you know, I, I probably ought to do something about that. One of these days, I'll, I'll get around to, uh, to doing something kind, sort of, sort of randomly. Not good enough. God wants us to be intentional. I don't want you walking out of here saying, oh, when I get around to it, down the road, someday, I want you to do something this week. So there are cards in the pew there. You see the little uh, three by five cards at the end of the row? I want you to take one of those uh, and, and pass the rest of them down the road. I want everybody to have a three by five card. Here's what I want you to do this morning, sometime before you leave. doesn't have to be right now in the service because you may not know what, what it is. You may have to think about this for a few minutes. What I want you to do is on that card, write something down that you're going to do this week to express kindness. Now, it might be something as, um, as simple as uh, saying something encouraging to a coworker or, or taking time to talk to your neighbor that you seldom see or, or, or that, you know, you just wave as you're passing by and you, you just don't take time to talk. Maybe that's simple. It might be as complex as taking a meal to a shut-in or paying somebody's gas bill who's fallen on hard times and you want to help them out in that way. Just use your imagination. Think about who you are and how you can do something genuinely kind for someone else and write it down. Now, then when you do it this week, don't put your name on this, okay? We're not going to brag about this. When you do it this week, mark the date on there, and then bring that card back, and we'll have baskets out here next week or throughout the week. And I want you to drop those cards in the baskets so that we can celebrate all the kind things that were done this week in the name of Christ to make a difference in this world. This morning, uh, we knew it would be hot outside. It's already hot. It's hot in here. And uh, so we've got bottles of cold water for you on your way out this morning, okay? This is not coming out of the church budget, all right? I want you to know that. Um, this, is, this is just a gift from us uh, on staff to you, and so we want you to enjoy. And, and this is the simplest act of kindness that we find in Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, And if anyone gives you a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So giving a cup of cold water, simplest act of kindness there is. We want you to have a cold bottle of water on your way out this morning. And you're thinking, I don't need water. Fine. (laughs) Then give it to somebody this week who does. Because that may start your kindness in action approach, okay? It's just a way to get you to start thinking, we can do this and live out the fruit of the Spirit. You're saying, does kindness really make that big of a difference? (laughs) Oh boy, it sure does. This week, Rhonda Rod uh, shared with me a note that she received from one of our international students who came here from China to study at IU. Rhonda works with our international students. Elon works with, uh, Rajamani works with our international students, and, and this is one of the students that had come here from China to study. She is now moving. And she and her roommate wanted the furniture in their apartment to go to the annual international student furniture drive that happens in August. And so they contacted her to see if somebody would pick up the furniture, which they did. You see, two years ago, she got some of the furniture 
And the impact of that kindness from an American home planted a seed in her heart. This is part of the letter she wrote. Let me read it to you. Thank you for the love and help your church gave me. Are you ready for this? I have become a Christian and will learn how to love others and live in Jesus our Lord. I am so happy to make the decision to become a Christian. I still remember when I thanked your church people for giving me the furniture, and one of them said, we are showing God's love. At that moment, I could not understand it, but now I fully get it, and I am so moved. How powerful our God is. Thank you for all the good things your church has done for international students and for sharing God's love with us. Just think, folks. A young lady will someday walk the streets of heaven because of a secondhand piece of furniture and the kindness of Christians to take it to her apartment and say, we're doing this because God loves us. Kindness really is love and action. It's God's way and it ought to be our way. You ought to be kind. Nothing points others to Jesus like kindness. How does your garden grow? If you do not know the Savior this morning, would you please kindly respond to the one who is the embodiment of kindness eternal? While we stand and while we sing, you come to the Christ.